Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of Truth to Power here on Forward Radio WFMPLP Louisville. We are 106.5 FM broadcasting from the historic Hayburn Building and you can find us online at forwardradio.org. Hey, maybe that's where you're listening to our live stream or the podcast versions of our programs. You can find archives of all of our local shows at forwardradio.org. And while you're there, we really encourage you to become a part of this community radio station. We built it for you. It's Radio 4. For the people, by the people. So if you're a person who has something to say, we've got a <laughs> microphone for you. And we would love, love, love to get you on our airwaves. Or maybe you want to help out behind the scenes. Maybe you're an accountant. We need an accountant. We so, sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do all of that. Go to forwardradio.org, click participate, and join us today. Uh, and while you're there, too, chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air. It is people like you who sustain us. It only takes $20 a day. Hey, this is a forward community radio people so go to forwardradio.org click donate and uh, help sustain the station for another year here on 106.5 well my name is justin mogg uh, i'm one of the programmers here on the station i host a show called sustainability now and i'm really excited to have one of the station's co-founders in the virtual studio with us today ruth newman is here hey ruth welcome back to the airwaves Hey, glad to be back on the air. Yeah, you're you're so busy behind the scenes, we don't get you behind the microphone very much anymore. I know, I'm always hidden. I like to hide. <laughs> no, it's great to have you. Uh, and Ruth was the inspiration for today's show because you want to tell the story about how, how, how our topic came up? <laughs> oh, well, I uh, decided one day just in the out of the blue that I'd like to go down to the water reservoir that's on reservoir. Is it reservoir Avenue (laughs) and Frankfurt and take a walk around those beautiful, beautiful surroundings that have, you know, where the, the fresh water comes in the reservoir and they've made it so beautiful. And what should I encounter? But a display (laughs) (laughs) that was being presented by the Louisville water company. And it was intriguing. They had all kinds of graphs and charts and, and photos and people to talk to. And I got involved that way. <laughs> and sure enough, I was able to insert in a question about coming on the air yeah. <laughs> on the radio station. <laughs> Why not? Yes. You saw those <laughs> and visuals and you immediately thought, hey, this would make great radio. <laughs> so. <laughs> So uh, it's all come together. We're, we're so excited to have with us a vice president from Louisville Water mm-hmm. Company. Kelly Deering-Smith is in the house. Hi, Welcome. Justin. Thank you. Hi, Ruth. It's nice to see you as well. Hi, Kelly. We're not going to make her do her um, her old routine on the radio when she used to host a country music radio. Wasn't it? Country music radio station, W Flea, and I would read the obituary column in between spinning country music records. Oh, my gosh. We're not going to make gonna you do that. We're not going to do that today. No. <laughs> we're going to have you talk about water. That is our theme for the day, our drinking water especially, but you know, it's a part of a larger water system that I think we're going to, we're going to touch on the sort of the natural water cycles and and pollution issues and things like that. Uh, And uh, Kelly is vice president for communications and marketing at the Louisville Water Company, which of course has an amazing resource online as well. I encourage everybody to go to louisvillewater.com. You know, the first thing I want to start out with is just... the history of the water company. You guys have been around since what, 1860? 1860. October 1860. So we are getting ready to celebrate a birthday oh in this gosh. month. 
month, we will be 161 years old. Wow. Yeah. Is, it, is it like the University of Louisville where it was uh, many different things over time and sort of cobbled together different institutions? Or has it always been the Louisville Water so Company? So it, it has always been the Louisville Water Company, but we, but we, our other name when we started was the Louisville Water Works. And that Water was Works. very popular in the 1800s. You would have the Philadelphia and the Boston and the Cincinnati Water Works. So Louisville started as Louisville Water Works. Wow. Um, uh, and were there many different urban water works at the time or were we kind no. of pioneering? So Louisville Water Company started as the first public drinking water provider in the state of Kentucky. Wow. Um, and we have a, we have an interesting story. So if you lived in Louisville in the 1800s, um, we had a reputation at the time. We were called the Graveyard of the West. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that is because in the 1800s, a lot of people came to Louisville trying to go west. Yep. And when they came here, they got ill and they oftentimes would, would die. And, and no one really knew why because there was no germ theory, scientists didn't have microscopes, and so people didn't make the connection um, that it could be the water, except for a gentleman named Dr. Henry McMurtry, and he's the one who coined Louisville as the graveyard of the West. And and what he believed is that there was a problem with the well water here in Louisville, and there was, in fact. So we have this amazing aquifer, great groundwater, but in the 1800s, people put their outhouses a little too close to the well. Right. So everything that seeped into the into the outhouse went into the well. So cholera and typhoid were just rampant. Um, group of men in the 1800s, 1840s said, you know what? I think we need a waterworks. Philadelphia, Boston, we, we hear they're pretty cool, right? Maybe we need one too. And the people of Louisville laughed at them. And they said, there's no way I'm paying for your water from the waterworks when my well water is free. Oh, um, okay. So the real reason you have the Louisville Water Company, we're in the business of public health, but it really has nothing to do with public health. It's, it's safety. It's fire protection. In the 1850s, oh. there was a gigantic fire downtown, burned a lot of buildings to the ground. And there was a law in the books in the 1850s that said, if you made more than $40 a year, you, Justin, had to keep two leather buckets at your house filled with water to fight a fire. So when the bucket brigade didn't work, the Louisville Fire Department needed to form as well. And someone said, you know what? Maybe if we put a plug, maybe we could fight fires. So Louisville Water Company chartered by the state of Kentucky in 1854. It took six years to build the original waterworks. And we started wow. delivering water on October 16th of 1860. Wow. And so that Crescent Hill Reservoir where Ruth started our yeah. conversation out about, when does that date to? So that comes in at 1879. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So when we started in 1860, the newspapers here called it a grand affair. We were the headline. Water, water, come down and see these giant structures yeah. at River Road and Zorn Avenue. I really don't think anyone wanted to drink the water at the time. <laughs> they just wanted to know what in the world is this thing that looked like a lighthouse that was sitting yeah. alongside Which the river. Which is still there today. Still there today. Wow. Oldest standing water tower of its kind in the United States. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Huh. Wow. Uh, and so the, a rich history here. And of course, a lot has improved with the way we treat mm. water uh, over the years. But some of the fundamental principles may be the same. I don't know. You want to you yeah. quickly tell us how things have changed over time? So one thing that hasn't changed at Louisville Water Company is the source. We've used the yep. Ohio River as the yep. source for our drinking water since 1860. Um when we started in 1860, there was no conventional treatment as we think about it today. But we started with the premise of delivering you a product that was safer, safer, okay. cleaner than what you were getting from the well. And so, you know, we're in the business of public health. People call us a utility, and 
I honestly don't really like that word sometimes because it doesn't say who we are. Mm. We're not a utility. We're a public health provider. Right. I mean, I have the community's health in the palm of our hands at Louisville Water. Right, right. Um, we're not like the grocery store, romaine lettuce, call it back if it's not right. <laughs> we can't change it, right? I mean, once it leaves the plant, we're gone. So, um, so when you think about water treatment, it's a story. So 1860, nothing really happened. We were just you know, letting the mud settle. Charles Hurst, chief engineer, after we started, heard about something in Europe called filtration. And he said, I think we need it at Louisville Water Company. So the first thing we did to clean your drinking water after we started was we built the Crescent Hill Reservoir where yeah. Ruth walked. Yep. Higher elevation, let more mud settle out, and a bigger settling basin as well. And then, George, and then Charles Hermony did something that really forever put Louisville on the map. And he brought a man to Louisville named George Warren Fuller. He was a scientist. And he told Mr. Fuller, I want you to come up with a filter that can clean the Ohio River. Wow. So George Warren Fuller set up shop at Zorn Avenue and River Road. Four wooden shacks brought four companies in and said, you're in a race to clean the Ohio River, and what can you come up with to do it? Hmm. And so those companies, in their experiments, they learned that if you would put a coagulant in the water, and then you would filter the water, and they used um, sand, and they used gravel, Mm -hmm. they realized they could remove 99% of what was in the water. So filtration experiments that really paved the way for safe drinking water happened in Louisville in 1896. So that led to, hey, we got to build a treatment plant now. We build the Crescent Hill Treatment Plant in 1909. We opened that plant, and a few years later, we heard about New Jersey trying chlorine in the water. And we said, okay, let's disinfect the water. So between 1860 to 1909, 49 years of just letting the mud settle. Then we start to filter. 1914, we add chlorine. And then suddenly, public health is forever changed here in Louisville. That doesn't mean we stopped in 1914, but fundamentally... Taking the water from the river, treating it, disinfecting it, that is the premise of what we do today. And let's be clear, so people don't know, I mean, basic science is so poorly understood, but this chlorine is taking care of the biological contaminants Correct. in the water. So we don't get the typhoid and things like yeah, that that yeah. you referred to earlier. Um, and, but. Now, sort of the more modern concerns relate to non-biological mm-hmm. contaminants that are in our water. People have heard all the buzz about PFAS, maybe this forever chemicals we could talk about, or microplastics, right. or other types of chemical contaminants. Uh, and those are maybe a little more challenging to remove, right? Yeah. The, so the science of water is forever changing. And I, you know, if you think about when we started in 1860, it was what could you see with your naked eye? Yeah, yeah. That's it. What can you see? Is there a floater, right? Is there what, what's in the water, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to get it. Today, our scientists are looking at things at parts per quadrillion. Wow. And then what does it matter, right? What is that wow. toxic toxicity? <laughs> what is the risk? And so what has changed is the river has changed. How we manage what's in the river has changed, and gosh, what we know. I mean, that the science today is changing probably yearly, sometimes monthly, we think. Mm. So to kind of put it in perspective, bacteria is always going to be a concern for right, us. You right. think about in a source water, that's the case. Um, we take water from the middle of the Ohio River, but we also take it underneath in that aquifer. It's naturally filtered river water. So we have two different sources of river water that we're pulling from, but we're always going to look for bacteria, and that's where chlorine comes into play. Louisville water today uses chloramine, which means we actually make our own supply of chlorine on site. Oh. 
So it's chlorine and ammonia, but we produce the chlorine on site. And we do that um, for safety. If you look at the Crescent Hill treatment plant, we're sitting in the middle of a beautiful neighborhood and we don't want to store chlorine on site. So it's a safer thing for our employees and for the community. Um, so you're always going to have that. And you asked about things that have changed. What, have, what has changed are things that we've produced as humans that are ending up in our source water and, and what we have produced by our actions. So by that, I mean the Ohio River is this giant watershed. Yeah. There are farms. There are factories. There are recreational things. Mm-hmm. The Ohio River is a wet interstate highway. (laughs) There are barges going up and down. So a water utility like Louisville Water Company, we have to deal with what we're dealt. A lot of things that we're trying to handle in the river are not things we put there, right? Yeah. But all of us as people who drink the water, we just want to know that that finished product is as safe as it possibly can be. Right. Right. So... And I know, Ruth, you had some questions about chlorine specifically. I, uh, did Kelly get to those, or do you have other questions? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, um, chlorine has been used for a long, long, long time, and there are different forms of chlorine, too. And then I know that you, you, you add ammonia to the chlorine in order for it to last as it goes through Correct. the distribution system, and that, and that forms what's called chloramines? Correct. Is that? Yeah. 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 And um, my question about chloramines is that they have been connected with um, possible carcinogens. Correct. If they combine, especially with organic matter. (laughs) I'm wondering about that. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I've, I've, I mean, I, I don't know if this is changing the subject, but there are some other types of disinfection like ozone yes. and ultraviolet that can break down the, these disinfectant, disinfection byproducts so that they don't end up going into the distribution system. Is there any thought at all to mixing in some of these other Ooh. disinfection Regimes? Great question. Great question. Um, so let me tackle the first question, which is about chloramines and total trihalomethanes. Um, yeah. So right. at Louisville Water Company, we are using chloramine for our disinfectant. And we, and we do that because we believe it's a safer product for us to use in our treatment system. But also, you mentioned the residual. If you think about um, sending water. So we today have 4,200 miles of water main. Nearly a million wow. people drink our water. Wow. Two days to make it, but it could take a week to get to you based on where you live in our service really? area. Huh. So I have to make sure that the, the level of safety in that water is just as good at Ruth's faucet as right. it is at the Crescent Hill treatment plant wow. or the BE pain plant. And so that's one of the reasons. Um, total tri- trihalomethanes is something that's measured by the EPA. Um, and it's part of our annual water quality report. I brought one with me today. This is our report card. So water utilities are required to do this every year. And so if you look at what we find, um, the EPA sets limits on what those can be based on the best available science. So we are well, well under any maximum contaminant level for total trihalomethanes. And, and that's important. And you mentioned the other treatment options. And so that plays into how we treat the water. At Louisville Water Company, I don't, I can't speak for the rest of the industry, and but I certainly think they would agree with us. It's never good enough. Mm. The science is changing. What is in the river, your source is changing. So, 
you just can't say, well, this is how we make water and that's it. Well, no. So we do continual research. And so at Louisville Water Company, we have looked at ozone. We have looked at granular activated carbon for things. Um, We have looked at reverse osmosis even. But one of the advanced treatment technologies that we use right now that we really like is something called riverbank filtration. And that is taking the water 80 feet underneath the river at one of our treatment plants. Wow. We find that if we do that, a lot of those organics are not in the water. The water's a little hard, so we have to soften it a little more. But it protects us from things that are on the river. The challenge we see sometimes with other treatment methods, it's all about balancing risk. So if you change your treatment strategy to balance a particular contaminant level, and let's say you only take that down by two or three parts per million or billion, what is that doing to the other potential things that that, can, that that treatment helps. Yeah. So it's a balancing yeah. equation. So our scientists um, yearly and daily are looking at what are we dealing with in the river? How do we balance the water chemistry and the treatment so that the product that leaves Louisville water every day is the same high quality? Yeah. It's not an easy job. Um, so does that help answer your question? Yeah, I, I I know. I mean, that's why I didn't go into water <laughs> water treatment because it's a very complex discipline. Yeah, it, it although is, my yeah. brother did. Yeah, my brother did. Oh. <laughs> well, I just get and, to work with all those amazingly smart people, and they, and they teach me. So my, you know, one of my jobs at Louisville Water Company is is what we're doing today is to take this very complex science right, topic. Right. And make it relevant and relatable to a fourth grader or your grandma. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people just want to know they can turn on their faucet and it's safe to drink and it tastes good. But if people out there want to dork out on this and look at that report card you just mentioned, uh, that's available at LouisvilleWater.com. It is. And it's, it's called the Annual Water Quality Report. Every, every water utility in America, 55,000 water systems are required to produce this every year by July 1st. Yeah. And if you want to know where your drinking water comes from, what your water utility finds, it doesn't include everything we test for. We only include things we detect. You can go to this report and learn everything you want. And every report must also include a person and a phone number and an email to call for more information. And I feel like as a as a Louisville Water Company customer, I get that you in do. the mail, don't I? Every you do. Some people get it in the mail. Some <laughs> people get a link to the website. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But w- you know, we try to make it more than just the water quality information. We view it as a time to let customers know, hey, what we're doing. How are yeah. we spending your rates? And and what projects do we have underway? Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, riverbank infiltration yeah. as one of your preferred methods, and it sort of replicates the natural filtering process of when rainwater infiltrates through the soil and mm-hmm. the, the bedrock. It it filters out a lot of the contaminants by the time it gets to the to the groundwater, which is why people like to tap groundwater in the first place, right? To get fresher drinking water, cleaner drinking water. But uh, I know Ruth has brought up the the question of what about radon when you pull water through uh, soil and bedrock, are there radon issues that come up? 
Not necessarily here in Louisville. And I'm going to go back to my report card so I make sure that I have my numbers. Uh, <laughs> I know. Can't keep it all yeah. in your head. So if you, yeah. look, if you look at our report card, um, which is the, you know, the annual water quality report, radon is not something that we're detecting. So we do test for it, yeah. um, but we're not detecting it at a level. Um, and part of that depends on where you're pulling from the ground, right. too. Yeah. So Louisville Water Company has two water treatment plants. We have the Crescent Hill plant, which is where it sounds like very close to where Ruth lives and where you'll see the reservoir. Yep. So that particular plant is pulling water that's coming from the middle of the Ohio River. And then our second plant is the B.E. Payne plant. It's in Prospect, Kentucky, okay. so right up the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the plant that uses riverbank filtration. So both treatment plants are doing the same thing once they get the source, and the finished product is the same. It's just how we get to the finished product, uh-huh. which might be a little different based on what we get. And radon is is super geographically. Yes, it depends on where you are. Depends on where you are. It's very di- d- different depending on your location. And I know I I learned pretty recently that our Kentucky State Geological Survey has a public online radon. Uh, danger map, basically, showing you different... It's nicely color-coded, so you can go look up your address and see what the risk level for radon is in your location, uh, and that informs whether you really should be testing right, regularly right, right, in your right. own home or business or something yeah. like that. That's interesting, and I, I tested for radon in my home and found that my levels were way high, yeah. and I had, I had to do remediation. Right. Mm. I had to get... Right. A device. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the other thing that a lot is on a lot of people's minds when it comes to water, of course, is lead. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly been on the mind of the Louisville Water Company for a long time, way before we all heard the stories of lead in the water in Flint, Michigan, yep. right? So do you want to talk about um First of all, why it's an issue and and what the water company has been doing about it. I'm so glad you asked about this. So this is a really important topic for all of us here in Louisville. Um, So first thing I want everyone to understand is there is not lead in your drinking water when it leaves the water treatment plant. There's not lead in your drinking water. The risk for lead comes from pipes plumbing as it would travel into your home. Right. That's the risk. So we're talking about a risk that is a pipe, not the water itself. So it may leach out of the leach pipe. out of the pipes, which so, is what happened. In yeah, Flint, right? yeah, yeah. So if you think about Louisville Water Company when we started in the 1800s, we're like a lot of old systems. Lead was the preferred material to put in, not the giant giant pipes, but the, we're talking about the smaller service pipes mm-hmm. that we had and that customers had. It was a very easy material to use. Um, it was readily available, and so between 1860 and the 1940s, Louisville Water Company installed around 76,000 lead service lines. Mm. We began in the 1980s replacing those lines. Um, as science came out and we realized, you know, maybe we need to start focusing on this, we, we started early. Um, and we started doing it block by block. And wow. if you think about where the lead service lines for Louisville Water would be, and really for you, it's the older parts of the city. Because think about between 1860 and 1940. Mm-hmm. So it's it's inside the Waterson Expressway. Mm-hmm. It's here in the downtown area. And so in the 1990s, we said, we're going to go block by block. And so we would contact you on your street and say, we're coming and we're going to replace our lead service line. And here's, how, here's what you need to know. So then we continued that work on and on and on. And we finally finished in 2020 
replacing all 76,000 known lead service lines for Louisville Water. Now, we fully expect we're going to find some because (laughs) keep in mind, we're an old system. Records are only as good as what they are, (laughs) and they are not all digital. Now, (laughs) so on our side, we've taken care of the known lines, and now we are focused on the customer's line. So in the Louisville area, if you have a home that was built after 1950, chances are you may not have a lead service line. And when I say a lead service line for you and Ruth, it's the line that's coming from the Louisville water meter going into your house. Yeah, You could also have lead plumbing inside your house as well. It could be part of your faucets. And so after we finished our work, we know there are 1,000 customers in Louisville that have a private lead service line because our records show it. And so we have proactively reached out to all 1,000 customers and said, hey, our records show you have a private lead service line. We want to help you replace it. Oh, wow. We're offering a 50% match. Wow. So if you, it, the average cost to replace a lead service line is about $2,500, $3,000. We're going to match half. And if you, by chance, don't have the money for the other half and you meet certain income qualifications, our foundation will pay the whole cost. I'm going to be blunt. We are struggling to get people to take advantage of the oh, offer. Really? And here's why. If you've lived in your house for 50 years <laughs> yeah, and you love that azalea bush and you've been drinking this <laughs> yeah, water, yeah. why would you want to do it, right? What, what's the incentive? So yeah. we're having a challenge and now we're realizing education is key to this. So I will get on my lead soapbox whenever I can. <laughs> um, but you know, the thing I, I want people to understand too is that There's three parts to lead for Louisville Water Company. First, and it starts at the treatment plant, we are balancing the water chemistry because I don't know what your plumbing is. So I got to take into account if you have a lead service line, I got to make sure the water chemistry is right, the pH is right, the heart, we're we're balancing that chemistry so that the water is less likely to pick up any lead that leaches. So that's first. Second, is you minimize the risk by replacing the pipe. So replacing our pipe, replacing your pipe. And the third thing is education. And that is letting us all know that if you live in an older home, let the water flush in the morning, couple minutes, run the cold water. And we offer free testing. If you want to know if there's lead in the drinking water in your home, call us. We will send you a kit. You sample it. We test it. We give you the results. So... Three part for lead. Sorry, I'm like I'm on the soapbox when no, you ask about great. lead. <laughs> that is great. What, what are you replacing the, the the lead pipes with? We we use copper. Yeah. So you're yeah. So and, yeah. And it could no be P- it could be PVC. Yeah. Yeah. It could be PVC. Yeah. But there's no danger of copper corrosion. No. No. So we, yeah. So lead lines that Louisville Water is replacing are replaced with the copper line. Yes. And for the customer, it really would be working with their plumber. Um, If you're replacing your private lead service line, you would work with your plumber on the material that you choose. We're speaking today here on Truth to Power with Kelly Deering-Smith. She's Vice President of Communications and Marketing at the Louisville Water Company. And you can learn more at louisvillewater.com. My name is Justin Mogg, and Ruth Newman is joining me in the virtual studio as well for our community conversation about your tap water today. Um, You know, uh, there's so many things to talk about. (laughs) When when we were talking about the history of the Louisville Water Company, though, I think one thing we, we really didn't highlight enough is that 
still to this day, Louisville Water Company is publicly owned, oh, right? Yeah. And and this really matters. Uh, and and it's it means you you said you said before you didn't like being called the utility, but if we compare Louisville Water Company to other utilities in town, we see a very different kind of feel <laughs> to say the LG&E versus uh, Louisville Water Company. So tell us about this public ownership yeah. and why it matters. So Louisville Water Company is the only water utility water company in the United States that has an ownership model like this. Wow. So we are unique. Um, We started in 1854, chartered as a private company by the state of Kentucky. And if you're a private company, we are selling shares of stock. Right. So we would look at you and say, Justin and Ruth, $100, 1854. Don't you want to own a piece of the Louisville Waterworks? You don't want our water. You have a well. Why would you purchase stock? 51 people bought stock. And they're very famous names, Belknap, Speed. (laughs) So the city of Louisville said, okay, we're going to be nice. We're going to purchase some stock in this Louisville Waterworks. So they purchased some stock. We had a really hard start because not a lot of people were buying stock. So in the early 1900s, 1906, the city of Louisville says, we are going to purchase the remaining shares of Louisville Water Company. We're going to purchase the original shares, those 51 shares. And so the city of Louisville became the only stockholder of a private chartered company. So we are a quasi-municipal entity. Right. It's never an easy answer when you ask about our ownership. So now, (laughs) so what does that mean? I, I think it's fair to say we all own a piece of the Louisville yeah, Water Company. Yeah. as And so, and we take that very, very seriously. We are a community asset. We are an anchor in this city. Um, and we are very focused on being community relevant. Um, right. So with our ownership model, um, the mayor of Louisville appoints our board, no more than 50% of one political party. The board of Waterworks is the governing body for the Louisville Water Company. We return a dividend to the city every oh. year. So 50% of our net... So think about our, our... You take our income, take out the expenses, 50% goes back into the water system, taking care of the pipes, the infrastructure. 50% goes to the city in the form of a dividend. We also provide fire protection. Louisville Water Company maintains 24,000 public fire hydrants. Wow. And then we return an investment to the city as well in helping with water service for city-owned property. Wow. That's so... Okay. Help me understand then to the other end of the pipe, MSD, right? The sewer system. That is... That so, is not a private company. So MSD is was charter is a state um, district. So Louisville Water and MSD are two separate entities. But if you're in the Louisville area, you get a bill with Louisville Water and MSD right, charges, right. and that's because a convenience. Your wastewater charges are based on how much water that you use. Right. So as you a customer, it is very convenient for you to get one bill. But yeah, MSD started. Um, much later than we did. Um, but uh, yeah, we are separate agencies, but we are on the same bill. And we work very closely together too Yeah, on a one water effort. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Okay. I'm glad we got that clear. I lost up. you. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Ruth. Do you have a question about uh, other contaminants? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, there are, you know, now that we are in the 21st century and we have all of these <laughs> exotic new chemicals <laughs> to deal with, um, like, for example, <laughs> PCBs, mercury. Um, pharmaceuticals. PFOA, pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals, yes. Pharmaceuticals, yeah. yeah. 
Um, also, algal blooms yes. with toxic... Cynotoxins, yes. Phytotoxins, right. And then some of the agricultural runoff, like nitrates and, right. nitri nitrates and phosphorus. Um, I'm not um, sure that... that the, I'm, I'm curious to know how that... Those chemicals are treated yeah. in yeah. water treatment because they, they're not really subject, are they, to coagulation and mm. sedimentation because they stay dissolved in the water. Is that right? So there's a lot of answers to that question yeah, you just no. asked me about. There are a lot of contaminants. <laughs> there's a lot of different answers. So let me start with, with some of the ones that are, are they're a little bit easier. Um, you asked about nitrates. And so, yes, and when we, we talked about earlier how we have this giant agricultural basin here yeah. that we're sitting in. So if you think about um, a farmer planting corn, if you think about you planting your garden or doing something to your lawn with fertilizers. So Everything goes someplace, right? When you put it on a corn crop or your front lawn. For us, nitrates, nitrites are, are seasonal. Um, you might yeah. see them in the spring when we're talking about planting. Um, those are things we can account for in our treatment process. Um, Ruth, you asked about PFAS. That is definitely an emerging contaminant and one that water utilities... Um, are really focused on research. They are not regulated right now right, by the Environmental right. Protection Agency. There's a health advisory level. So what that means is the EPA realizes that there is a concern, but we don't have enough science yet to set a level. So Louisville Water Company with PFAS has been doing research now for seven or eight years. We're looking at the river and we're also looking at the finished water. The EPA's health advisory level is 70 parts per trillion. Um, we've seen anything from four to 20. We don't, so we don't mm. see it as a huge concern. And I don't want, I don't want people to hear me and say, well, she's just saying that that's not, that doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. Everything matters, but you're, we're balancing the risk and the toxicity of this. And yeah. PFAS is called forever chemicals. And that's because they're, they're forever, right? They're, you can't really get rid of them. And so as a water utility, this is a perfect example of what we talked about earlier of we are dealing with what we're dealt with. <laughs> we did not put PFAS in the river, so we, but we must deal with it yeah. because you as the customer expect safe, high-quality drinking water. Yeah. Um, so right now, we are not doing um, – our, our conventional treatment at, at our plants would not handle the PFAS if, if EPA comes out and says – we think the level should be 20, 30, 40 parts per trillion. We are good with our treatment process. Um, but we are doing research now, not only here at Louisville, but with, with other entities across the United States on do we need to look at alternative mm -hmm. treatment methods and what might that be? And for our community, what's that investment going to look yeah. like? Um, so, and you asked, so those are two things you asked me about. Um, mercury. mercury. And, and not really a big deal for us in Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Really, because it's 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 uh, something that is emitted, isn't it, by the power plants? Coal, fire. yeah. But yeah. in terms of water quality testing, um, it is it is not yeah. something that is uh, is of a huge concern to us. Yeah. You also mm -hmm. asked about microplastics, and that's an that's an emerging one as well. Something that's not necessarily regulated right now. Right. There is a lot of research underway. Um, we are participating on the fringe with some of that research. Yeah. Um, there's a long list of research projects on water quality. <laughs> I might just add, and correct me if I'm wrong, that those PFOAs, perfluoramates, perfluoramates, yes. they're no, they are non-stick 
compounds, is that right, that people used on their pots and pans? So they're, they're yeah, used in lots of things. Um, so you mentioned pots and pans, firefighting foam, um, and, and it's another location thing, too. Remember we talked about where you were located? You might see, I think we were talking about radon. radon yeah. um, there have been some instances in North Carolina, in Michigan, up in the Northeast, where you've had a higher levels of PFAS in water supplies based on the human activity yeah. in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it all boils down to is yeah. human activity. Yeah. <laughs> and it's unfortunate, in my opinion, unfortunate that Louisville water cannot have some kind of an influence over human activity so that they can preempt, you mm. know, the, the discharge into our water mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and not have to worry about how to deal with it once it gets after the fact it's always much more complicated than yeah. than preventing it in the first place you know that and I, that idea of influence i mean we we do lend our opinion and our expertise um we do it a lot of times through our industry associations there's power in numbers so when we think about lobbying in washington um we, we think about the power in numbers with other utilities and so a lot of times our work comes through those entities um here locally, um, you will see us lend our voice um, to perhaps, I'm trying to think about a, a good example, think about activity in our city. I mean, yep, we're, we're yep. always going to be very protective of things that are in the watershed areas close to our treatment plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for example, the thing that I think of, because I bicycle down River Road a lot, <laughs> yeah. is that they there are these developments that over the years have occurred make them better because we used to have a lot of industry along the water along the waterfront now what we have is apartment buildings along the waterfront and it would seem to me just thinking about this that we ought to be leaving our waterfront um, clear of mm-hmm. any kind of human activity other than just public access for yeah. for recreational enjoyment but not 24/7 in industry and resident resident yeah. Yeah. So, but they don't do that yeah. in, in Louisville. <laughs> so that's just my little. Yeah. Issue. Yeah. That's your soapbox. I mean, yeah. Obviously, yeah. obviously, there's industry plays a role here. Policy plays a role, but our listeners can also play a role in yeah. helping keep our water clean, right? So I, I wonder yes. if we could just spend a few minutes talking about that. One of the contaminants we didn't talk too much about, but just mentioned really briefly, is pharmaceuticals, mm. right? And so this. If you got expired or unused medications, the way a lot of people treat it is to throw it down the toilet and flush it, right? Not well, good. think about what you're doing when you do that. You're sending all of these chemicals right into our waterways. The, the, the MSD is not going to be able to filter that out, right, before right. it gets to right. the Ohio River. And so all of the creatures in the Ohio River are suddenly exposed to your, you know, uh, hormones and all these different things, like all these different pharmaceutical chemicals. So just a real quick note that uh, Metro has made it easier and easier to drop off your pharmaceuticals for d- appropriate disposal. And they have these monthly pop-up drop-offs that I, uh, I know about. And the next one's coming up on October 23rd. They're from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on a Saturday. And the next one on October 23rd is at Metro Fleet Services there at 3515 Newburgh Road. So that's one thing you can do as a consumer. We also mentioned nitrates and fertilizers and what you do on your lawn and garden. You want to talk a little bit more about that kind of thing? So I think in terms of your personal use, it's 
it's being smart about how you do things. So um, I don't want to say that I don't think you should put fertilizer on your ground or I don't think you should do that on your tomatoes or whatever. But I want you to be smart about it. If that's a choice that you make to put chemicals on your lawn, to put chemicals on your vegetable garden, then A, you need to do it in the right quantity. Um, You do need to do it (laughs) in the right... Yeah, Yeah. and and, and you need to think about that impact. Um, You know, the basic premise of water science and producing drinking water is we want to start with the cleanest source possible. Yeah. Cleanest source possible. It makes it easier for all of us. Um, You know, when you think about things that end up in the river, the most frequent thing that we see floating by the Ohio River are plastic water bottles. Right. Um, right. I mean, Justin knows me very well. I am anti-bottled water unless there's some (laughs) dire emergency and, and you just absolutely need it. But we have some of the highest quality and I would argue the best tasting tap water in America. And so we've trademarked it. It's Louisville Pure Tap. There is no need to buy a commercial bottle of water from for your daily use here in Louisville. And if you and do that, it, don't toss the bottle. And isn't it true though that public drinking water has to reach higher standards <laughs> yes. of yeah. treatment? Yep. Uh, than bottled water? That is true. So the water industry is regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency. The regulations are much different and stricter than the FDA, which regulates bottled water. And and by the way, do you guys know where most bottled water sources come from? I, I do. Public but taps. Yep. Public <laughs> taps. Public taps. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the new, one of the, and, and I think there is a stigma a little bit in the public of a water fountain. Um, and I, and I think COVID has highlighted that as well, but sure, they closed I'm, them at the yeah, beginning. Yeah. And I'm very, but, but I'm very excited to see people, entities hopping on board to put in bottle filling station. Cause I think part of the, part of, I think our responsibility as a community, as a water utility is to make it accessible in the public as well. And so I feel very strongly that taste matters, first of all. Taste is perception. If something doesn't taste good, you're going to question the safety of that product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then accessibility, making it accessible, making it easy for someone to get a glass of water. It should not be that you have to pay $4 if you're thirsty. Yeah, really, really. Uh, it should be uh, something affordable or free, basically, for, for the public. Uh, and man, yeah, d- drinking fountains need to be a lot more common than they are, despite yeah. the stigma. I mean, it's so frustrating to go to a place and not be able to refill my bottle or get a drink. And their only option I'm given, especially at like big festivals and things like that, is to pay a bunch of money for some tap water somebody put in a bottle to sell to me. It's just right. so frustrating. And I think that point you said about the levels of regulation is needs to be highlighted. So, you know, stop. <laughs> Let's rewind just a second and highlight the fact that the water coming out of your tap is more highly regulated. In other words, it's safer than the water you buy on the shelf at the grocery store or out of a vending machine. Yeah. So every day at Louisville Water Company, our scientists are doing 200 water quality experiments before it ever leaves the treatment plant. And then we're testing it in the distribution system as it travels to your house. You as a homeowner, as a consumer, you have a part in water quality. Flush the water lines in the morning. Let the cold water run. Get rid of any old water that's left in your pipe. Um, I tell people if you do use a reusable water bottle... 
make sure you clean it. We've done some experiments <laughs> at yeah. the water company. If you leave your plastic or your reusable water bottle sitting around, things can grow, especially in the sure. summer. Um, yeah, so yeah. Um, clean the bottle. Good. <laughs> can I throw it in my yeah. dishwasher? Is it that easy? I think you can. Now, some some work better than the other so, than others, yeah. but um, I usually hand wash mine. Yeah, there you go. So yes, tap tap water is safer, and I it, I think it, it's funny because I think there's this public perception that oh well if something's free it can't possibly be better than this thing I'm paying a bunch of money for right <laughs> but yeah. it's actually the reverse given the way that it's regulated here so yeah. and it's affordable too I'm sorry I, you know affordable if you think about a glass of water from the faucet um, you can take a penny in Louisville I'll give you a penny and you can fill your glass over 60 times for a penny wow um, wow. Yeah. I mean, that. and so I, I would, I'm not sure you could find a bottle of water that would meet that price. <laughs> yeah. They don't even sell them for a penny. So yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, of course there are extreme situations where there bottled water is necessary. You know, if you're in emergency post hurricane, absolutely. You know, if, you're, absolutely. if you're living in a place that is filled with lead pipes and you're really worried about mm-hmm. that, you might have a temporary need for the, for bottled water. So we're, we're not saying don't ever drink it. Don't ever touch it, we're just saying, don't make it part of your daily routine. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and and also, you had mentioned a little earlier about microplastics. Yes. Plastic water bottles are another contributor exactly. to microplastics that are in everybody's bloodstream right now. Yeah. Everybody. Excellent point. Yeah, and we don't know we don't know the effects of those. So yes. you know, it's it it's it makes sense to be cautious about that. Um, well, we've got fifteen minutes left, and uh, there's still lots to talk about. Um, I want to talk about uh, for sure. I want to touch on like how climate change is influencing this. Uh, so maybe that's. I mean, it's been so top of mind in the last month with the number of floods and hurricanes and wildfires we've seen. I mean, climate change is no longer like worrying about those future generations like it was when I started. Started worrying about this in the 80s. It's now in our face. It's it's our generation. So how is Louisville Water Company both adapting to <laughs> and helping mitigate climate change? It's an interesting topic, I will say. I mean, when you think about floods, um, that MSD does an amazing job in this community of, of help, helping to manage stormwater and flood protection. Um, on the drinking water side, um, you know, climate change for us has to do with the source of the Ohio River. We're we're so very blessed to have seventy five billion gallons of water going by us every is that day. How much it is? Wow. Seventy five billion. <laughs> Wait, every minute? What? Every day. Every day. Every day. Okay. <laughs> and, and we pump about one hundred and thirty million a day. It's a drop out of the bucket. Wow. Um, wow. But if you think about heavy rainfall, torrential flooding, it changes what the river looks like. Oh, it's yeah. very turbid, right? There's yeah. a, there's a different there's a different quality there. So that's one thing that we're dealing with. The temperature swings are another. Um, so the temperature swings of the Ohio River can go up and down. That can balance. Of course, you have to change your treatment, maybe looking at the temperature and what can grow. You mentioned those algae blooms earlier. Hot, dry summers can lead to algae blooms. Um, I think climate change for us almost... It means being resilient too, right? Yeah. So if you think about building a system that is resilient, that is adaptable, that's a big part of our infrastructure investment. So putting money back in the system so that we can make sure the system works when we need it. Right. Um, so climate change for us is a little different power. Of course, we're trying to be smarter with our energy use as well. Um, so looking at not only redundant systems to back up our power, mm. but making sure that we're doing them in the most economical way. Hmm. I have it, a question. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I have no idea, so I'm totally uneducated about this. I'm wondering whether climate change is doing anything to increase the, the disease burden hmm. here, especially when it comes to parasites, more tropical-like diseases, because if you are dealing with parasites... Um, then chlorine is not as effective hmm. against parasites. And, and I'm wondering if there's a, a gradual change taking place in the types of diseases. I know we, we get more West Nile virus mm -hmm. now than we used to. Sure. And that has to do with climate change. Hmm. And um, just wondering about that. I know that, you know, that we've got two waterborne parasites that I think typically the water treatment company deals with. Giardia, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Giardia Cryptosporidium. Yes. Right. Yes. And Cryptosporidium, I've read, is very resistant to chlorine. And I know that there are other parasite-type organisms hmm. that are also resistant to chlorine. And whether climate change and the warming of our air and water is going to have an so that is a very interesting question that I don't feel like I could probably adequately answer for you today. I knew, I knew yeah. we were going to have some of those. Yeah, that, but, that but, <laughs> but that's where I'm like, phone a friend, right? I phone a scientist. So I will make sure. No, but, you know, Giardia and Cryptosporidium um, are, can, be, can be waterborne outbreaks. And there was an instance um, in Milwaukee in the 1990s that really helped to change some of the drinking water standards that we have today. Yeah. Um, and so it is something that we definitely monitor. You asked about the West Nile, though. I don't recall having conversations with our scientists about that. But that doesn't mean those aren't happening. Um, yeah. So that's one that I'm yeah, happy to I take back. I don't know that it's a factor in the water. It has more to do with mosquito getting bitten board. by yes, a mosquito. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then again, mosquitoes... Get born and thrive in water, so yeah, yeah. standing water. I, yeah, I, I'm curious too about you mentioned the, the temperature of the water affects what you do. Can you speak more about that? Why does the temperature matter, and how much is the typical range in the temperature of the water coming out of my tap? Well, if you think about the Ohio River, so we're very dependent. We're very not dependent, but we're very much linked to the temperature, the air temperature. Sure. So it can go. 80 something degrees in the summer down the water to itself. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In the river. And it can go all the way down to like 32, 33, 31 in the winter. Um, in the summer, those temperature swings and dry and the extremely dry weather can lead to um, algae blooms, which is what we were referring to a yeah. little earlier. Yeah. And that can really lead to taste and odor issues. It's not so much a water quality issue as it is a taste and odor issue. Okay. And so that's in the summer. We monitor that very closely because as you know, we're very proud of the taste of our water, and we yeah. certainly don't want it to taste musty. Right. And so that's what can happen when you have an algae plume, bloom. The algae would die. It gives off, off a substance called MIB, and just as much as the tip of my finger can make the entire reservoir taste kind of musty. And mm. so we can absorb those tastes and odors with carbon. Um, and so yeah. that's, that's an example of how weather in the summer can really change our treatment strategy. Mm. Okay. Does it affect two things like lead leaching and pipes, the temperature? Not of the that water? I'm okay. aware of, okay. no. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned taste, and I know Louisville Water Company has won awards in some blind national yeah. taste tests. Does that still happen every year? Is that it a does. thing? It does. Oh, it wow. does. So there, there, we have won the national award twice um, by the American Water Works Association as the best tasting tap water in America. Mm -hmm. um, oh, wow. And, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier it matters. I mean, if you think about when you travel or just any product in general, taste for customers is an indicator of quality. 
It, I mean, the water can taste like sulfur. It could taste musty yeah. and still be perfectly fine to drink, yeah. safe to drink. But you might question it, right? Yeah. Um, so we believe if you want to build public trust, that taste matters. And we have a recipe for it, but it's kind of like bourbon or the chicken. <laughs> it's locked up in a vault. I'm not going to share it today. <laughs> so if I'm a customer and I feel like the taste of the tap water coming out of my tap in my house isn't all that great... Is there anything I can do to improve Ooh, it? Yeah, good question. So one would be um, look at where that taste happened. So did you notice it in the kitchen or the bathroom? Right. Mm. Have you cleaned the drain trap? Ooh. I mean, are you getting odors or something coming out? Oh. Have you cleaned the aerator at the bottom of your faucet? Right. Is there something that's causing an issue there maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you still don't think that's that's an issue... Give us a call. Send us an email. We will talk. Oh, really? We actually have people on our water quality team who I call them the troubleshooters. Okay. So you'll call in and say, my water looks cloudy, tastes weird. I don't think it smells right. And we have this whole thing that we'll walk you through. And you can actually see it on our, you can find it on our website. We call it See It, Smell It, Taste It. Huh. And we're helping you troubleshoot what might cause your water to not appear like you think it should. Because oh. there can be points along the way. You mentioned all these many miles of pipes, right, that are outside of Louisville Water's control, like more immediate right. to your home or building, that would influence that taste and cause some. And maybe some of those are pretty easy to fix. And some people are just sensitive to things that we use for the water treatment. Sure. So I always tell people, if you are not um, a fan of the taste of the water coming out of the faucet, you should put it in the refrigerator and chill it. Oh, yeah. Chilled water always, for most people, tastes better than warm water. Yep. And some people use a Brita filter in, With, the, in the fridge, too, if you want to go over. And if you do that, please change the filter. <laughs> okay, go. that is like another common thing we see. People will be like, my water looks weird, tastes funky, and we're like... Have you changed the filter? They're like, what is that? I bought that refrigerator 10, 15 years ago. And we're like, no, 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 no. So change the filter. That's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Wow. I just bought a new filter just yesterday, actually. It's an activated carbon filter. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and it's got a, you know, it's not the kind that you can put in the fridge or under your sink. You have to put it down in the basement because it's really, (laughs) really big big one. You have a big big one. one, Okay. Well, change the filter, Ruth. Yeah. Follow those directions. (laughs) And then people add like water softeners and things in their home too. All that could affect the taste. So it's not necessarily our our, our wonderful publicly owned utilities fault. (laughs) It might be something within your building that you need to fix. Also, one other thing and uh, is something that I, I heard many, many years ago, you know, these fancy water faucets that we have now where you can pull it out. And if people pull it out and leave it in the sink, it can, it can get really funky water in it that goes back into the system. And then when you, when you turn the water on, you're getting polluted water mm. because it's backflowed some of the water. Correct. Kind of a buildup in your own house there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a really good point. That's a good point. All right, we're nearing the end of our time, okay. and I definitely wanted to touch on this one last thing that's really in a lot of people's minds in the news, the massive infrastructure yeah. bill coming out of D.C. What does that mean for us here in Louisville in terms of water? We're hoping it means federal funding. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there is a lot of talk in D.C. right now with infrastructure money for lead pipes, for replacing old old lines, um, and 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 we really feel like that we will be eligible for some of that funding. We don't we honestly don't know yet. What we do know is that some of the initial funding that came out 
um, last year that went to the state, we are going to be able to take advantage of some of that Ooh. to replace some of the older infrastructure in our system. The federal bill that's in, that President Biden's bill right now, we have advocated um, for money for drinking water. Um, you know, when people think about infrastructure, it's road, bridges, and dams. It just flows off your tongue. Yeah. Why can't it be water, roads, and bridges? I mean, yeah. I would love to see water at the top of that list. There are so many issues across the U.S. You know, one thing that's interesting, though, you asked about infrastructure and federal funding. In COVID is the first time ever that Louisville Water has received money from the federal government through the state and the city to help our customers. And it was right? for affordability. Oh. So COVID forever changed how we look at affordability here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. When a lot of customers went behind on their payments, um, we actually received money from the federal government that we were able to use to give credits to our customers who had an outstanding balance. And so um, that was a lifesaver for a lot of people. And I feel like the infrastructure bill, you know, every year Louisville Water's capital budget is about 100 $110 million dollars. Next year, 73% of that budget will go to infrastructure. So we're already spending our own funding for that because we're trying to replace miles of pipe every year. So if we could get some help from the federal government just for lead pipes for you as a customer... Gosh, what it's it's transformational, and it, I really believe we're talking about generational improvements. Yeah, is it mostly a question of maintaining what we already have, or is the Louisville Water Company? If you got a whole big chunk of federal money, is there something new you'd want to do? Some of it is re- is replacing. I mean, we ha- we have identified a lot of our older pipe that we still want to replace. Yeah. These are the large pipes. Um, yeah. That's one piece. Um, there are some resiliency projects that we'd like to continue to do, just making sure you have a backup, a triple backup for what you do. Mm. But um, uh, pipes, there's okay. a big focus for us. Well, this has been amazing uh, to get a full hour to sit down and just talk about our tap water and why it's important and how yeah. all of the work we do to protect it uh, and, and just to make people think about it for a minute. Because I think, you know, it's like it, having lived abroad in places where there is no tap water, mm. you really come to value that ability to just turn on a tap and there's clean, healthy water right there for you. Uh, and so it's something I no longer take for granted at all. But I, I think a lot of us do. We do. So I'm glad we had this hour to Me too. Well, I I appreciate the opportunity to share Louisville Water's story, to share the story of water. Um, Utilities, water utilities, we can't be silent. We want your public trust. And the only way to get your public trust is to tell you our story. So come visit us. We will come to your kid's classroom, walk the reservoir, drink the water, go to the website, find us at an event. We love to tell stories about water, and um, we encourage you to take advantage of that. That's right. And you come out to festivals. We I do. Was, I was talking about some of those festivals where you can't get tap water, but there, there's yeah. some like World <laughs> Fest where yes. Louisville Water Company is there. Yeah. We, we are at over 200 places, events every year serving water. Um, we have a giant curriculum. Wow. We do guest lectures on campus. I mean... We just like to talk water in case you haven't picked that up in this hour. Which is one of the advantages of having a publicly owned utility that that actually cares about education and and engagement. And so Kelly Deering smith Vice President of Communications and Marketing from Louisville Water Company, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, cheers. We'll drink a cold one for you. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody go to louisvillewater.com to learn more. Ruth, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today here on Truth to Power. Thank you, Justin. It's been great. I've really learned a lot. It's great having someone with a degree in water resource management on this (laughs) conversation. This is great. Not only that, but my husband, Ernie, 
is the inventor. He is the inventor of reverse osmosis. <gasps> what? Why he, did you wait until yes. the end of this program to what? share that little Dropping tidbit? Dropping the mic right at the end. Wow. <laughs> he, he was the inventor of it. It was his PhD thesis. Oh, yes. my goodness. Well, that's but, so cool. Wow. Congrats. All the royalties went to um, the University of Gainesville because he was... He was a PhD student at the time. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a cool little nugget to end on. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Truth to Power. Uh, we'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well.